Welcome to the Jay and Pav Podcast Experience. Listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. Welcome to episode 82 of the Staff Room Podcast. Today we are talking financial literacy and how valuable is our teaching of financial literacy in our classrooms. Financial literacy is something that has been added to the Ontario math curriculum recently. So this is going to be a really great conversation for us today. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. My name is Pav. I make up half of the hosting team of the Staff Room Podcast. I'm sitting next to my co-host, but he usually introduces himself. And Hurricane Cheney, you're the next contestant on the Staff Room Podcast with Pav, Wonder Woman, Wonder. I want to win. I want to win. I want to get to the showcase showdown. I loved, I grew up on that show. I grew up on The Price is Right with Bob Barker. And it was like my grandparents and I used to watch that. It was on at 11 o'clock every day. And I, I, I don't know if these memories are like summer vacation memories or before school started for me, like four years old. But I remember, I have so many great memories of watching Prices Right. I'm going to tell you a story I think you don't even know. Oh, maybe I don't. And this is going to take us off the educational but realm. But that's okay. I like these cute little One stories. One of my great friends that I worked with at my um, as a counselor, uh-huh. he won the Showcase Showdown. No way. Yep. And it's on YouTube. No. How long ago was it? Oh, this? I'm going to say this about 10 years ago so now. So it was Bob Barker's day. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. Like there's, I have no more stories. It's not like I went with him. I was not a fanboy with him, but he, he said, hey, I'm doing this this weekend. And then he said, I won, I won. And oh you can gosh. see it on YouTube. That is so cool. I, for all the life of me, all my 100% best vacation spot of my childhood was Burbank, California. That's where I wanted to go. <laughs> So. Oh, I just wanted to go to my neighbor's house and play baseball in the backyard, but that's fine. <laughs> I love the prices right. So uh, that was a great intro. 
Pav, let's talk about financial literacy. Yeah, uh, price I, is right. I need a lot of help, eh? I need a lot of help. Um, let's get to a little anecdote. How did we decide to yeah. get upon this? Because we know in Ontario right now, there's lots of other things going on. Yes. But uh, let, let us set this up and maybe we can uh, debrief some of these other things. Yeah, you know what? Like this math curriculum, we just released this math curriculum this year. This is the first year that we are teaching it. And I feel like it's not getting its time in the sun. I feel like we're really not giving it as much attention as it needs because there have been a lot of changes and financial literacy has been one of them. So let's get into that anecdote. So with this new COVID teaching experience face-to-face, I've come to take my class outside with greater frequency. Sometimes it's just for a break. Sometimes it's because my own capacities to embed land-based learning is improved and I've used to cross-curricular and embed in, in my teaching. And ultimately, a lot of other time, we've also just gone to do our work at the park. So we've gone on these walks and we always go through um, the parking lot. And, you know, I got a small class this year and they, we ask questions. It's no problem to ask these questions. And Mr. Cheney, Mr. Cheney, what's your car? Well, mm-hmm. well, well, that's my car. Okay, okay, okay. Next day, Mr. Ting, what's your car? Well, you asked me this yesterday. That's my car right there. It's still the same thing. <laughs> uh, and, but you know, this, I, this is like my oldest daughter. She asked a lot of questions. She ain't listening. Every once in a while, she'll decide to listen. So like the third day, it's like, Mr. Chang, where's your car? This is my car right here. Stop and look, everyone, because we ask me this every single day. And then we got back up to my class, you know, you know, uh, it's dot, 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 because now it's removed a certain amount of time. Mr. Cheney, Mr. Cheney, yes. We, we got some questions. What do you mean you got some questions? What, your car? I'm like, yeah. It's, it's, it's so much older than all the other teachers' car, Mr. Cheney. Like, do you get paid? Like, what's going on here? And I said, what do you, whoa, whoa, do I get paid? All right, kitties, gather around the fire, please. You Mr. Cheney's going to tell you that when I was coming up, you didn't need to have the fanciest car in the Bergen lot. Um, but it sparked a conversation of, and I think many teachers can connect to this, students asking, how much money do you make? Mm-hmm. You make lots of money. And do you walk away from that conversation? So the car became the springboard for Mr. Cheney. Like, why is your car so old? What, and then it became, it wasn't so much about, Uh, its value, but why did I place a certain value on what I was going to spend on a car? What were the Mm. surrounding expenses around that car that made it valuable? And we got into a rich conversation of wanting a car that was repairable for me and, and, and knowing someone that I could get the car repaired quickly and efficiently. And it was a, it was a relationship in the sense that I knew the mechanic. And so there was, there was all kinds of these other factors. So it was just a kid's curiosity question sparked this. Let's talk about some financial literacy. Mm. And in the bigger picture, this might not be the greatest example. Because I think, Pav, as we've discovered through some of our readings, it needs to be practical. I don't know if all my kids want a car or thinking about a car or making a connection to the old car. But when we, when I was sharing this story with you about how they were so distraught by how old my 2004 CRV was, in mint condition, might I say, <laughs> um, that it sparked the, the financial literacy question, but a little bit beyond, like what were the factors? It wasn't solely, well, this car has X amount of value. What are all the surrounding factors that either add to that value or make that valuable more manageable for me? And so we said, you know what? We, we actually haven't had a sole, sole episode dedicated to financial literacy. Let's have a go. That and I, there's so many reasons why I love that anecdote because it, it touches on so many different things. And the first thing that I thought about was the value of money. So, as you were speaking, you know, I, I sort of thought about okay, so students, maybe you've got grade eight students. Um, I, I don't want to say that they don't have the 
a, a little bit of an understanding of what the value of money is, because I think that I think that throughout our math programming before the financial literacy uh, piece has been added to the curriculum, I think that we did a pretty decent job of adding um, you know, what is the value of the dollar and, and how, what is the dollar made up of? And, um, and sort of like we, we talk about the value of the dollar, but when it comes to things like purchasing a car, can our students fully conceptualize how much a car actually costs? And just to sort of piggyback on your anecdote, we had a similar one this year where um, students were to make up survey questions in the class to ask their peers. And one of the questions that they asked was, what method of payment would you use to purchase a car? And this, this was a common question that came up with a, f- a few different students in the class. So I'm not going to go too much into detail about, you know, where that question came from or, or what happened with that question quite yet. I think I'll wait till later on in the conversation to bring that relevancy up. But um, it had me thinking that perhaps, one, maybe our grade eight students uh, don't have that full conceptualization of what the value of, of our money is and how much money adults make and how much money um, is to be made being a teacher versus another job, which led me to another thought, which was status and hierarchy. You know, do, do our students understand what, what that means? And do students maybe take a look at teachers and say, well, you are in this building, you're teaching me every day. This seems like a pretty important job. You should all have like fancy cars. Like, I think that this is a job that requires that. And, and as much as I would like to agree with them, you know, that's, it's, it's really like it's a little bit disproportionate to what they might be understanding. But perhaps they're also looking at the other cars in the parking lot. They're doing comparisons. And so I, I had so many different thoughts that went through my mind about different directions for teaching students when it comes to financial literacy, because these are all valid conversations. So we're comparing and contrasting with other people in the parking, with other cars in the parking lot. And perhaps that would be a fun guessing game. Whose car belongs to who and why do you think it belongs to them? Um, And then we're talking about hierarchy. We're talking about status and is an expensive car a status symbol and perhaps talking about that. And then talking about the the actual value of the money and and how much cars cost to maintain, not just to purchase, but then also to maintain. So um, great anecdote for so many different reasons, but mostly because it had me thinking about so many different directions to take my teaching. We can go in all kinds of places, but I'm going to roll us back to sort of the beginning. So in Ontario, we haven't had uh, sort of explicit financial literacy as curriculum expectations. You talked about that. These are new expectations for us this year. And there's always been sort of, they've been add-ons or compartmentalized projects or special organizations would come in. I recall Mm -hmm. year after year, we had one day of this sort of uh, really, really explicit financial literacy come in, but great presentations would come in one day. And that that was it. And you felt like it had been covered. Uh, or not even necessarily covered because you weren't necessarily covering a curriculum expectation, but it was there. There was a sense that it had to be talked about and had to be discussed. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I, Pat, would both agree there, there's a real place for financial literacy in our curriculum as a concept, as a whole. 
uh, which leads me to a great conversation I had with one of my student teachers this year, where mm-hmm. he had some great philosophy and some great pedagogy on um, the fallacy of financial literacy. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's still something I'm willing to explore and, and dive a little deeper. But I didn't have, I guess, the, the maybe the pedagogies to really dissect and to take it down. I'm still in the space of financial literacy has a purpose, has a place. I'm in, there's things that are out there in our real world that we got to make sure our kids can connect to and and visualize and make. Uh, you were giving your examples there, like to really appreciate what it is that the dollar's doing for them or what they can do with that dollar. Um, so I think as a whole, we're pro embedding financial literacy in in real depth. Mm-hmm. in our teaching, in our learning, and maybe beyond math, maybe not compartmentalizing it by math. It's a big step up for us for where we've been, where it's been very isolated, one-off, special guests coming right. in. As a teacher now, I feel like I have some ownership. And so this year, we've begun to explore some of that discussion on financial literacy. And I think some of the reading we've done, Pav, is that as much as we have best intentions and we want to teach financial literacy, is our curriculum, is our teaching uh, resources and is our pedagogy and our PD up to the task where we're teaching financial literacy where we can effectively measure the results or see results and and maybe I can leave that off with you or I could keep going because I, I feel I could go off on a tangent now but to set up a, our audience in Ontario it's new we're here we're, we're diving in and now that we're engaging in the task what are we seeing as we dive into financial literacy as an explicit curriculum expectation absolutely and it, it's something that we've um, we've in many regards, we've ha- included these conversations quite informally in our classroom settings, and perhaps it stemmed from the math curriculum in the past, and, and we've gone into these conversations about how to pay for things. I can remember having very informal conversations with my students about um, how to pay for things and how to budget for things and what is interest and how do you buy a house, and um, and now those things are worked into the curriculum, and so uh, it's it's very it's it's great that I think that it's great I agree with you I think that it's great that it's there but I think that there needs to be some work done in terms of helping teachers to give them the supports that are that are needed and I'm not just talking about how do I teach my students how to calculate interest because yes that is it can be cal- it can be complicated to and I believe that's grade eight Start. You start. We definitely had yeah. interest and and currency exchange and right. deciding whether you wanted to pay cash, debit, credit. Yeah. What were the positives or negatives? Um, again, purchasing big things like houses or converting where you would want to buy a jersey from. Those were sort of the type of examples we had. Mm-hmm. And and I think that in grade six, what we taught was uh, the different methods of payment. So we're sort of building up to that calculating of interest. And so the point that I was trying to make is, yes, we, we probably need a little bit of support in in figuring out what are the best ways to teach that to our to our students that we have in front of us in our classrooms. But then also there are some other barriers that we need to be able to accommodate as well. We need to take a look at, uh, as always, we need to take a look at the community that we are in. We need to take a look at the barriers that may exist for our students. We, we need to take a look at... Um, 
at, at families that we have in our communities and, and uh, sort of shift our teaching or to adjust our teaching to meet the needs of our students. And yes, you brought this up earlier. We have to be able to make our teaching of financial literacy applicable and relevant to our students. So um, perhaps we're not talking about buying a yacht mm. in our class. And, you know, where do you get the disposable income to purchase a yacht for your weekend getaways? Uh, so maybe that's something that we need to, to sort of touch on and we need to do our own sort of learning to, to best be able to teach our students where they are at in our communities. I'm going to go, I got three pillars. Okay, let's hear it. Um, so I'm going to talk about my experience teaching my financial literacy unit this year. And I think collectively, like as a data or assessment, it went well-ish. Okay. I think they were able to get through it. They were able to get the interest. They were able to um, appreciate a credit card, a debit card, cash. But I didn't find a great level of engagement. Mm -hmm. And I think because one thing you told me, there was a disconnect. It was purely math for math's right. sake. And they couldn't connect. Even when I tried to slightly modify the end task and I tried to put it into sort of a mini problem-based learning where the assessment was simply math talk. I just wanted them to talk about money. And they had to uh, design a plan to purchase something that they wanted to purchase. And ultimately, they, they really didn't have, you know, uh, well, many students didn't have, they, many students used a barter system. Well, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to sell that. They looked on eBay to figure out what they could sell their stuff for. Mm -hmm. and, and in the long run, you could oh. say by curriculum, that might not have been the greatest curriculum uh, uh, way to solve the problem. Or maybe that was what the curriculum was looking for. But it was the most realistic way. If I'm Absolutely. 13 years old and I need to get myself 150 bucks, how am I getting it? Yeah. Very few students actually made the comparison. Oh, my parents or my aunt or my uncle or my grandparents, they're doing this, they're making that. I had a few students say, if so-and-so's working at so-and-so, what are they going to make? A few people did, a few students did that, but most of them just kept it very raw and real. If I'm 13, how am I going to do this? Well, I'm going to ask my parents for a amount of money. I'm going to ask mm -hmm. for it for my birthday. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to sell that. And so collectively as a whole, I didn't feel great. And maybe okay. it's because I didn't teach it really well, but I thought the the content was just it. W there was no personal connection, even when I tried to personalize it. They found their workarounds or their real life solutions wasn't really the math. They when I tried to have conversations about them about whether they would buy it with a credit card or a debit card or cash, they they, they knew, but yeah. but they didn't know because they they don't have experiences yes. with a credit card. Like to to try to imply that you're going to absorb some sort of debt, they're like, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'm technically I see it on paper. I'm going to absorb more further debt." But they've never experienced that or I haven't put them in experience to understand that. And so as a whole, I, I didn't love it. Maybe I didn't love my teaching, maybe I didn't love my task, maybe because I've only taught it once. Like I'm excited to do it better. And then it reminds me and I think back now the institutions that came in and taught, they had very structured, nice booklets, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized, you know what? They did the same thing. They talked about, you know, buying your first house, buying your apartment, you're going to go mm -hmm. away on a trip. Mm -hmm. There's there's this disconnect. My 13 and 14 year olds are, are not thinking about that. So it's it's just math for math's sake. And then I reminded I actually, I have had some really good financial literacy moments in my classroom. It reminds me back to when I taught grade six. Mm -hmm. And... As a brand new teacher, I made lots of mistakes, lots of things that didn't go well. But one of the things 20 years later that I look back and say went really well is I had a class money system. You bought and you and you got paid for 
everything. Maybe in hindsight, that was a little bit of compliance. Mm-hmm. But if you had your planner signed, boom, you got paid. If you had your uniform on, boom, you got paid because the school was uniform back then. And then I would do random draws. You have a red pen, boom, you're getting paid. You have this, you're getting paid. You have that, you're getting paid. You have this, getting paid. Doing this, getting paid. Got to go to the washroom, you get paid. Blah, blah, blah. And I never did it to the point where you couldn't go to the washroom because you didn't have any money. Like I was really good at making sure people were rich. I guess it yeah. wasn't a great system, but there was lots of money in people's hands and it was fun. And I, I, and the class just really, and then the class would really engage in it. They would buy the simplest things. They would pay for the simplest things. They would start to do their own deals on the side. They'd be selling erasers to each other. And it, it took a lot of work to, 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 because I had to make sure I was giving out tons and tons of money to start every morning. I always wanted every kid to start the day earning big time cash. Yeah. Uh, and then we would use it to, to do anything and everything. And maybe it wasn't the greatest teaching pedagogy. And I'm sure in hindsight, I'll say, ah, oh, that was a little bit too much compliance-based. I, I let two students, you just sort of created a hierarchy. But on one level of, of financial literacy, financial learning, learning how to earn money, spend money, barter for money, it was quite successful. And actually had a few former teachers send me pictures of their C notes they still had from 17 years ago. Former students. Yeah, former yeah, students. I don't yeah, use that. I don't. No, you said former teachers. Oh no, yeah, I didn't. No, they, they didn't earn it. No, <laughs> no, no, they never earned. They it. owe me. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sure I could dissect that and tear that apart. But on many many levels, it was actually a really good association with cash and money and and earning cash and and having to deal with expenses and pondering that I want to buy a bag of chips at the end of the day. Yeah, I wasn't as big of a health guru back then either. You know, I would sell chips and pop were sitting in my room. So at the end of the day, you could buy chips and pop on your way out the door. Oh, you were the fun teacher. Yeah, I remember three C notes for chips, five for a pop. Oh, that's a great deal. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. It was a great deal. Oh, okay. <laughs> And then I actually would, and I won't, I would go too far into all the anecdotes that went with it. But when I was thinking of like, what are my experiences with money in the school where students were engaged mm-hmm. in that particular content, they were really engaged right. in the financial literacy. Because it was, it was relevant to them. It was applicable to their own lives. They needed to know how to budget, right? They, 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 and these are all the things that are part of the curriculum. So yes, I agree with you. There's probably a few flaws in the whole idea of having a, uh, classroom money system, but then the students are also learning a lot about the financial literacy. You brought up something um, early on, you know, where you were talking about credit cards and using methods of payment. Now, this is this is methods of payment are part of the grade six curriculum. So you were talking about how students don't really, really they don't fully have a great understanding of the credit cards and how they work. And yes, they can kind of get that. Um, something that we read in, a, in an article that we were uh, reading today talked about the fact that when we introduce this brand new curriculum that there are going to be like your grade eight students haven't had the grade one to the grade one to seven curriculum. So they haven't picked up, they haven't learned about those uh, methods of payment as explicitly as they would have if they were in the grade six program and they had learned about all of that. And then they moved to grade seven and they add a little bit more onto that and then grade eight. So I think that that scaffolding definitely helps um, with this curriculum because it has been built on a very scaffolded sort of way where uh, in grade six, we are learning about those different methods of payment. 
And in uh, my class, it made me think of all of the different conversations that we had surrounding this topic as well. Um, you know, we had students who were, so we were learning about the, the methods of payment and we actually decided to combine financial literacy with data management. So we combined those two units together to sort of tackle them at the same time. And so we embedded a survey that students completed uh, for themselves and for their families. And at the time we were teaching remotely. So um, many students that were participating in the class at the time had adults around them at home uh, to be able to supervise. And so they were able to quickly go and ask some of these survey questions. And so um, we talked a lot about methods of payment and what are the different methods of payment that are being used in, in the classroom space or so, sorry, at home, the students that were using at home. And so many students themselves only had a lot of exposure to cash and perhaps a few students had a bank account. And so they had exposure to a debit card. Um, and then when they talked about their families, they would talk about, well, this is what my parents used to pay for things. And then we really dove deep. And, and when your parents pay for gas, what do they use? When your parents pay for groceries, what do they use? And so we, we talked about a lot of these methods of payment openly and honestly and we talked about that and of course families are you know they're able to listen to these uh, lessons as we're participating in them uh, virtually so we had a lot of great discussion about what are the prevalent types of uh, forms of payment that are happening in in our households and in this community and you know where do we go to pay for these things and then and then topics of paying for larger things came up like when we need to buy a, a car how would we need to do that in a couple of years you may be interested in paying for a car or we we started talking about um when you, when would you need to pay for something big and what is something big that you may need to pay for so things like gaming consoles television sets, uh, things of that nature, you know, cell phones. These are the big items for, for our students. And so we talked a lot about how we could potentially pay for these things. So you had me thinking a lot about that. And, and that I say, I would say that that relevancy piece, that applicable piece is so important to start with because without that, you lose the students right away. And as soon as you make something like Hey, this is what we're trying to buy. Maybe this is what we're trying to buy as a class. Maybe this is what we're trying to raise some money for. Um, how would we pay for this item? And, uh, you know, how and what is the best method of payment to pay for this item? So uh, that applicableness, as you were speaking about that, um, really had me thinking about that and, and a lot of the anecdotes that we had in our classroom as well. I love how you you let the students take the lead, even with new curriculum. Mm -hmm. you, that student voice still generated the learning and the talking points. You, I got three things. I got culturally responsive pedagogy circled yeah. here in my notes. I got SEL circled, and I got application circled. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to come to application, and uh, I'm going to go to this one article we, we read called Financial Literacy Education Navigating a Paradox. And it talked about application. Um, because it talked about sort of the research behind it and studying of studying of financial literacy is that students can can sort of grasp understanding of concepts and they can retain it, although the retention of financial literacy actually isn't as well documented or as well duplicated as much as people would hope. But there's a big gap in how students apply it. Mm 
And a lot of that application comes, I think, to that culturally responsive component, that SEL component. And it reminds me of the sort of the examples that were curated in sort of the the text and the resources that were being funneled my way is that the, the these examples were alienating our students. So how are they going to be applicable? So when I made my sort of culminating task of you pick your item that you want to buy, what item is of importance to you? It hadn't really been the type of items we talked about in all the examples beforehand. They just, there's too big a disconnect. And remind me of that key word of application mm-hmm. is that students aren't really easily able to apply the learning of financial literacy if the examples aren't practical, if they aren't real. When you talked about student voice and connecting to your community and finding out what's going on in those spaces, it it brought it to life. It made it applicable. And I'll share this one quote from uh, the article, and there's many of them, but it's uh, Dr. Laura Pinto, and she says, while financial knowledge is indisputably useful, financial literacy Education is far from a recipe for individual or collective prosperity. What can educators do to cultivate financially literate students? End quote. Hmm. And it was just that reminder, as much as we're building this infrastructure and this curriculum for financial literacy, we want students to apply it, but is it applicable to the stories and realities of our students? And when you were talking about that student voice, it reminded me a little bit of how tough I was trying to negotiate topics because we were talking about, you know, what's the best way to buy something? And as we were going through the unit, I, I didn't feel really comfortable because I'm like, how am I addressing all my students' needs? Because I know not all my students can equally debate. It's not about which one's the best one. Mm-hmm. You don't, not every student has the ability or families that are, that we have, have the ability to decide whether they're using cash or debit right. or credit or go to the bank or take a loan or have interest. Like as much as it's a great debate as to which one you're going to use, the mere audacity to think that all of my students, and I knew they didn't. So I, I really, I was tippy toeing around it because I didn't want to alienate anyone knowing that this concept of am I going to decide to take the loan because it's 4% or bi-weekly or annually, like I am absolutely going to alienate a majority of my students by teaching this. So when you were talking about that, I was thinking how awkward I felt. And as much as I'm not particularly well experienced with math, I've never felt awkward with math, but I felt awkward on sort of that culture responsive, connecting to my community, that SEL component. It's like, I am going to alienate my students talking about this. And we were talking about the benefits of cash, but many of our families, that, 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 it's not this is that they use cash because it's the benefit that is the means to which they have to purchase things. Yeah, and and that's such a relevant conversation. That CRP piece is crucial and it's critical to teaching financial literacy. It reminds me of, so we read it, another article as well, and, and maybe you can help me out with this uh, or, or I'll look it up later. But there was a quote in there that stood out to me and I wrote this down, focusing on individual responsibilities without discussing social factors is likely to undermine the value of these lessons for students whose circumstances make it harder for their family to save money and avoid debt. And so this is, this is a reality. I haven't come across anything in the financial literacy curriculum that talks about how to deal with debt. 
and and in a lot of uh, our, our our situations, and I'm not even just talking about our students' situations, we we have debt to deal with, and talking about how to deal with debt is important, and I think that um, that needs to be part of the conversation as well. And if we're taking a look at uh, the students that we have in our spaces in front of us, we have to be able to fully acknowledge what our community is experiencing specifically was yeah. that was that the article in uh in the flipboard, flipboard, mag- flipboard yeah. magazine where yeah. it's especially after COVID 19 canadians need better financial literacy and teachers can help by gail henderson and pamela beach thank you so much for providing that yeah it was a great uh i we started with that article and it kind of led us down a wormhole into other things that uh we're we've been talking about today it, but it was increased advocacy yeah. for financial literacy because so many people have had their finances i don't i don't even want to say torn apart or altered or shifted or changed or the the level of comfortableness has been altered so it was it was again advocating for the real need but the mm-hmm. to be really so, socially and culturally and aware of what's going on in our communities because it's not every community as we've talked about in covid a very small percentage of our community is being asked to shoulder the financial burden for the province right. while other places and other people and i'm i'm gonna gonna say certainly but i'm not certain i don't have the empirical data is going to be disproportionate through if you checked uh, gender and race and culture. And so ultimately we're going to have um, a massive disproportionate rate of who is shouldering the financial burden and taking the financial That's loss right. for COVID-19 here in Ontario. Absolutely. And I think that that is a great place for us to perhaps uh, take a little bit of a breather and a little bit of a break and then we'll come back and wrap up this conversation and sort of talk about our swag bag as we uh, as we as we end this uh, fantastic talk that we've had so far and I've got other ideas and other thoughts to perhaps add um, but we'll come back to that in a second so um, Jay why don't you take us into our commercial break and this episode is brought to you by Honda 2004 CRVs because you can't have episode 82 without it <laughs> On the Staff Room Podcast, episode 82, talking about financial <laughs> literacy. You sounded like uh, Jim Carrey in The Mask. Was that the point? Somebody stop me! There you go. <laughs> Actually, you said that many times. Stop. Just stop. 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 Uh, we've had this... I don't want to call it the most lively conversation we've had, but I think it's been a pretty authentic conversation <laughs> yeah. about our new diving into financial literacy, sort of how it's gone, what our reading has dictated that we're maybe missing, and despite maybe having sound curriculum, is it connecting to our students? Are we still seeking student voice? Are students able to make personal connections? Are we being aware, mm-hmm. culturally aware, social, emotionally aware? Are we alienating our students from this? Uh, financial growth or financial conversation by just doing that, alienating them and not mm-hmm. honoring their experiences. Pav, you want to jump in? You want to talk a little bit more about... Uh, the cultural aspect. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, um, it was it was something that came up vo- very organically. And I want to repeat what you just said in regards to um, this has been a very authentic conversation. It has been because this is the first time we've ever taught this in this way, in this format this year. And so we learned a lot through our, uh, through, through teaching this to our students, 
Um, and Che and I don't teach together in the same school. So it was very disconnected. But we we talked about, you know, how did it go? How was your unit? How was financial literacy going for your class? And so we sort of casually talked about, yeah, it's pretty good. But, but it wasn't until this conversation right here that we really got into the nitty gritty and, you know, gave like those examples of things that have showed up in class and uh, the anecdotes and and whatnot. Um, and, and as you were speaking, Che, I was thinking about some of the examples that, of things that had come up in, in our class as well. And um, at, I had mentioned earlier in the episode that when we were doing the financial literacy unit, we were actually in remote school at the time. So we were teaching virtually from home. So it was around uh, January-ish, end of January when we were teaching this, we were remote for about six weeks after the December holiday break. And um, this is when this unit fell into our programming. And so we were doing a lot of the work at home. And, um, and, and as I mentioned as well, we were doing this in conjunction with our data management unit as well. So we had a lot of survey questions and we were learning how to write good survey questions and we were practicing how to write. Um, and so one of, I remember one of the conversations sort of coming up, well, what if, and this was from a female student, what if, you know, the women in my family don't really take care of the money? And, uh, and all of a sudden I had like all kinds of light bulbs and things firing off in my head. Oh, ding, ding, ding. This is something that's relevant to me because I grew up in a culture where, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the women's job to take care of the money. It was the man's job. It was dad. It was the male. It was the patriarch. That was the, that was who took care of the money, who handled all of the finances. And I remember, um, conversations with my grandmother um, and my grandmother, you know, she still tells me all kinds of stories and she's, she just turned 99 years old yesterday. And it was, it was great because she still has lots of stories to tell. And she's always, she's always sneaking money into my hand always. And I know that this is a common thing for all grandparents, but I remember somebody posting on social media about how, uh, Indian grandmothers, were never allowed to have money. Never. They, it was it was given to them as an allowance. So they had to ask their husbands, you know, I need a little bit of cash for this. And they would always skim a little bit off the top and hide it under the mattress or hide it in the dresser or hide it in somewhere. And uh, this is something that my grandmother always does. And I say to this day, she still does this. She will sneak a Kleenex wrapped uh, up with money inside into my pocket as I'm leaving. And, and everybody can clearly see that she's doing it, but it's habit because women were not given the opportunity to hand out money. They were not making money. They were, they had to get that money from somewhere. And that usually that money came from skimming it off the top and keeping it for themselves to give to other people as gifts, because this was not a liberty that was allowed to them. And, and I had all of these stories in my head. And I, sometimes when you grow up in Canada and, or, or anywhere, as a first generation, you have all of these stories in your head because you can relate to these cultural norms, but you don't really think of them as anything. They're just commonplace to yourself and your family. But when you say them out loud and you talk about them with your class, your students, and they connect to that and they say, you experienced the same thing or 
in my culture, we do that too. Or I've seen that with my grandmother. And, uh, and so we made a lot of connections in having that conversation. Um, and it took that just little bit of conversation, some one person to say, I don't know if I'm going to be the one that handles the money when I grow up. So why do I need to know this? And, and we went into a lot of conversation about culture and who handles the money and why, and how, how are we going to change that? If that is something that we feel needs to be changed. And so that cultural relevancy piece is huge. That anti-racism piece is huge. And just understanding where our community is and where our community comes from is a really big piece. And I, and I felt like I was really able to connect to my students with that, with that little anecdote there, with that little story that we had experienced. I love that story. And I'm glad you got a, a chance to tell it. As you were telling it, it reminds me of some of the work we did when we were back at our school together, when I'm thinking about where are our kids, like if we want to make money relevant and you want to connect it to curriculum, but you also want to make it sort of the norm. You want to make conversations of money and how you use it or, or why you would be part of your everyday life. You, sort of your norm reminds me of the work we did with our student council. And they would run initiatives and they would run mm -hmm. plans. And we always had a real conversation at the beginning of the years. Like, are we running events to make money? Are you running events to build culture? And is there a layer of it where you need to raise money in order to support culture? And sometimes early on, our student council would say, oh, it's going to be dress down day, but $2 for everyone. And I'd, be like, I'd be like, pause. Now, why do we want $2 from everyone? Is there a purpose? Do we have a mission? Do we have a vision? Are we buying something of significance for the school so that we're asking people to give money for a reason? And then we would talk about, but can we just expect everyone to be giving $2 mm -hmm. to dress down? Perhaps we want to build school culture and excitement, assuming dress down day was one of the things we wanted to talk about. And so I was starting to think, this has been one of the points, places where we actually did a lot of financial literacy when we talk about, okay, our, our student councils are grades six, seven, eight. We want to raise some money for some things for the school. So we would raise money to paint lines on the field, or we would raise money to buy bins for uh, activities for outside. And then we would be very specific. We would be raising money for canned food items. And then we would be raising money for a very specific group to alleviate yearbook costs for grade eights. And so the, all of a sudden they got an idea of, oh, I'm going to, as we talked about it with student council, all of a sudden, you can't just ask people for money and not provide a service. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you, like, so when you go dress down day, we'd always have this conversation with our student council, but what work are you doing? You're mm -hmm. just, you're telling people they, to, they get to dress down and then they got to pay you for it. Right. And we would always say, if you want to get a service, you want to raise money for a goal or a task, you also want to demonstrate to people that you're going to provide a service. So it would lead to bake sales. And we would take, uh, I remember bringing in cupcakes and then redesigning them and make them personalized on top because we would say, oh, we'll just bring in the cupcakes and sell them and be like, no, 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 no. But we're just, we're just reselling something. How about we take those cupcakes, we'll buy some icing, we'll buy some playful little bears, we'll buy some, and we'll decorate it so that you've demonstrated that you're putting effort to try to really earn their money. And as much as we would say it, collectively, we got really good about that. And there'd be people in the, in the student council, no, 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 we can't just, we can't just ask for money. Like, one, do we have a purpose for our money? Is what we're asking for realistic to what we're trying to purchase? If we're trying to buy 10 basketballs, do we know how much 10 basketballs have? Or are we just randomly trying to purchase money? So as you were telling that story, and I was thinking back about when have we really connected uh, financial literacy, financial talk, sustainability, 
into our class, maybe not as much in my class, but certainly in our middle school student council where money becomes um, foundational in the sense that if you have a mission and a vision and you're trying to provide a service and you're trying to do something for your school, we talked about what's the best way to motivate people to buy your product, to buy your service. Right. Is it just because you're offering to buy them basketball gear or is it because you put an effort to make uh, beaded uh, bracelets or are you making bake sale where you customize it? And so as you were talking about that, I was thinking about there have been great moments where maybe it wasn't curriculum-based but when I was thinking about that application and that engagement, those were real talking points where we were able to real talk financial literacy. The finances are connected to something else, culture building, service providing. Yeah, and, and things like marketing, entrepreneurial studies, and these are things that our students are very interested in. And I can think back to so many other things that, you know, I mean, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes where uh, we've we've taught students how to make an Instagram post. Miss Wander, why, why is this even relevant to us? One day you're likely going to have a business and you're going to want to make social media a part of that. And so we we talk about all of these things and and. I think that what's so great about having financial literacy as finally part of the curriculum is that we were doing much of this anyway. This is now something that, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's there. It's something that we're a little bit more explicit about, more intentional about. You know what this conversation has me excited to maybe ponder is mm -hmm. could I bring classroom C notes back, back yeah, and do it a little differently? Yeah. Because, you know, as a brand new teacher, it was a great way to, to feel like I was in control of the space. And there's some positive memories. But, you know, with, with, with growth, with ex being a now 20-year experienced practitioner, I realize there are... I think you should wait. I think you should wait till you just close to retiring. And then it's like come full circle. And that's like the circle, the C-note. The signature C-note. You know, in, I would never put my face on it the way I did back then. <laughs> No, I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can but put the staff room logo. The on conversation there. now is just like floating around. Could I actually bring this back and be a little bit more culturally yeah. responsive? Make sure it's more inclusive. Make sure it's not exclusive. I make think, sure students aren't dominating. Uh, I think it would be a fun project. It would mm, be something very how, interesting. Maybe to bring there's back. some teachers out there that are listening that have really great mm. uh, experiences. I, I, I'm. I'll say I had a good experience, but in my youth, I'll realize now there must have been people that felt excluded, right. that felt alienated through it. How can I do it better if I were to try it again? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm thinking right now. Like there's some excitability because now I, I knew I didn't feel great about the financial literacy unit that had been handed down to us this year and, and how I, I used it. Um, probably for a bunch of layered reasons. One you talked about, we did it at both the same time. We both happened to be doing it just as we went back to remote, right. which would have been some obstacles. New curriculum. Uh, and, and sometimes you go new curriculum, maybe you lean on a little too much. I, I tried to modify it more personalized at the end. Yeah. But and then again, it is takes the, practice. Or is the curriculum just outdated for the reasons you talked about? My grade eights haven't ascended up to right. these talking points. So yeah. as much as they got it, I didn't feel they were connected yeah. to it. I think that if they had had the grade six and the grade seven under their belt, they might have connected to it a little bit better because they would have received that explicit teaching. But nonetheless, I think that it was a great starting point and both of us are going to really take that learning that we did with our students this year and throughout this conversation and apply it to future years that we are teaching to uh, evolve that learning. 
Absolutely. You got anything else before we drop to a a little swag bag? No, I think that we are quite ready for that swag bag. Lots of conversation, and it has been a little bit all over the place, but uh, that's what we do so well here at the Staff Room Podcast. what we don't do well is keep it at 30 minutes. No. We've had this conversation, I think, four episodes straight. Oh, we got to keep it short. (laughs) We've got to keep it short. The audience needs something 30 minutes. It never happens. No, but at least it's not an hour and six minutes like the one, I believe, on compliance on learning skills. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our swag bag we are in agreement we we appreciate that financial literacy needs to have curriculum expectations explicitly taught not just relied on sort of people coming in and doing a one or two off or relying on your your student council to be the only talking points to financial literacy um i think our key for swag is it needs to be relevant our brief experiences really let us know if student voice isn't guiding us, if our community's experiences aren't guiding us, we can lose and we can alienate our students through the examples that the curriculum is is given. Uh, Pav, you talked about this cultural values. We really need to address cultural values and the place for all our communities at. The, the, the conversation we talked about, debit, cash, or credit, it's not... Um, bias-free conversation where everyone can engage in the curriculum equally. People bring their stories and their truths and people can be alienated by that mere context. So the teacher has that responsibility to take that lead from our students. So I had that there. I had here, uh, application is an obstacle. I think our reading really identified that as much as retention can be seen, there's not a lot of supporting data that will tell you that students are able to apply financial literacy. And so I think if we had those components as part of our swag bag, making it relevant, making it real for them, being culturally aware, perhaps it'll become more applicable. And I think that's our swag bag for episode 82 on a crash course for 100 on financial literacy please make sure that you check us out at chayandpav.com we've got so much great stuff there including a blog which we don't talk much about but there are some great pieces there and definitely lots more to come so please check out chayandpav.com for listening to the staff room podcast as well as the drive oh the drive yes sunday nights 8 30 to 10 p.m eastern it is us in our blue ocean it is music songs that you request teacher banter and just connecting and solidifying relationships in that space and we love that drive space so if you're available on sunday nights uh please join us if you're not available please cancel all of those plans and join us on the drive i'm saying it as nicely as i can and you can always listen to the drive live at chayampav.com slash radio so please be sure to check us out there and please rate us review us and share on social media or better yet invite a friend tell somebody about the staff room podcast or tell somebody about the drive because that's probably more important to us (laughs) so thank you everybody and pav you're the next contestant on the staff room